Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I'm Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Everybody, I'm Zach Wall. I'm the founder and CEO of Enterprise Knowledge, the world's largest dedicated knowledge management consultancy. Several things to introduce myself. The first, uh, I love this question, uh, on a desert island, what would I take with me? So food, wine, and my family, and I will say not necessarily in that order, but I'll leave it there for now. I've been in the field for 24 years, which gets awfully scary. I've seen the, the hairline creep backwards, and, and that's how I mark my expertise in KM. Uh, I think when I hit that quarter century mark next year, I'm going to have to, I don't know, maybe shave my head or something else. We'll see. And then uh, just lastly, a little bit of the, the geography. I grew up in upstate New York. I have lived in the D.C. area for about 25 years at this point. Uh, my travels with knowledge management have taken me at last count to over 30 different countries. So client travel all over the world, uh, getting to do very cool knowledge management initiatives. So looking forward to sharing a little bit of that with y'all. I got to say the receding or the increasing forehead, let's make a positive out of it, not receding hairline, but increasing forehead yeah. is, is a way that is a benchmark watermark of a lot of things, but to have it related to knowledge management or building that brain trust up here and expanding the knowledge is an interesting concept. And I, I'll stick with that. I, I like that because I have a I, similar, similar situation. So. I, I think that's actually, I'd have to consult a doctor on this, but I, I believe this is medically proven. The more stuff that gets in the brain, it starts pushing the follicles <laughs> out, out, out. So that's... And, and apparently out and out your ears. Yes. <laughs> that's where they go. I got it. All right, Zach. So tell me what is going on in this global footprint you've got in activity. What's the biggest business sector you're working with? Super exciting. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a wild time. I think a couple things are going on that is leading to a, a real boom period for KM. The first is the technology is finally caught up with the concepts. People like you and I have been talking about knowledge management for years and years and years. And a lot of that time we were talking about these pretty exciting grand ideas, you know, auto tagging, machine learning, ontologies, these are not new concepts, but the technology is finally at a level of maturity where it's actually practical to put it in place. So that's super exciting. Global circumstances, not least the pandemic, have created a situation where I think there's been a light that has been shined upon bad KM in a lot of organizations. Organizations used to make up for their lack of findability and their lack of collaboration tools and, and digital capabilities, basically, by having somebody pop up from over their cube and say, hey, does anybody have an answer to this? Or walk down the hall and ask those questions. For the last year, Plus, we haven't been able to do that. And so there's now, I think, more of a business case or more of a clear business case for KM than there previously was. And then third, I think what's happening is though KM might not be the letters at the top of the priority for any given CEO, 
uh, competitive advantage is. The letters AI certainly are. And so as we've increasingly been able to make that connection between KM and artificial intelligence, KM and machine learning, and, and draw that bridge to how it's going to help transform an organization and really create that lasting competitive advantage, KM is very much at the center of a lot of uh, organizational strategies. And so for me, what that translates to is the opportunity for EK to work on bigger projects, to spend less time trying to convince somebody that KM is valuable and more time actually doing really cool and exciting work. And I think, Edwin, to answer your original question, where that, that tends to translate to is, is those enterprise transformations. So rather than messing around with a little pilot or doing the business area type of work, we're really getting the opportunity to come in, look across and through the entire organization and build that roadmap for them and then carry out that roadmap of, of transforming the organization to, to be more mature when it comes to camp. Exciting times. Wow, that is monumental to hear because usually the application is to go small bites. Let's let's just try it over here and then see if we can get some buy-in and show some value and la, la, la. Yeah. But now you're saying that customer paradigm has kind of shifted to say, look, we need the whole enchilada. Mm -hmm. Now, to be fair, how you get to that whole enchilada is still in those small bites, right? So Agile plays a critical role in this and building from prototypes to pilots, small tests, uh, lots of quick little fails that then translate into an enterprise transformation over the course of years. That's still what the roadmap looks like. Little tasks measurable in weeks and yeah. months. Yeah. Did it work? Great. Let's do more of that. Did it not? Let's find out why and try something else. So something that's extremely responsive and corrective, and I don't mean corrective in the like it was wrong, but correct the direction, correct the the application, the mission, or not the mission, but the execution of what you're trying to do in a responsive way. So what exactly is going on as ISO rolls out and becomes more of an institutional thing? And I'm, I'm curious, do these enterprises that you're speaking of even care about the ISO for knowledge management? Not that we've come across in any way. In fact, on a couple of recent RFPs, the question has been asked directly, do you care about ISO? And more than once it's been answered with no, period, no, no, no further interest. So Interesting. It's, it's, it's there in some organizations, it's a consideration, yeah. but at the end of the day, these organizations don't care about ISO. They care about business value and business outcomes. They know what their problems are. They don't know how to fix all of them. And they're looking for help to address their business challenges, not to get another certification or to hit another standard. I hear you on that. I was just interested to hear that there's really not much sticking to that ISO in your world. Because to me, it was exciting because it was like, oh my gosh, finally, finally, we've got an organizational plug in a real foundational way from a very respected, symbolic and operational for a lot of big corporations that have other ISO standards they tend to follow. I thought, wow, this is going to open the door. This is really mm -hmm. going to add some huge value. But it's just interesting to hear that it's kind of still not really there. I, you know, I think that those sorts of things take a while to, to get traction. And in a way, it becomes sort of a self-feeding cycle. You look at it in 
our world and you say, well, we need the ISO standard to bid on the project that somebody's asking for, or we need the ISO standard to be compliant in order to work for so-and-so client, that cycle of this organization caring about it, so this organization then cares about it, so we then care about it, takes a little while. And I'm just not sure we're totally there yet. You know, it, it, it really is an adoption thing. And, and competitively, I'm sure once one organization follows the ISO, oh, wait a minute, maybe we should be doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's early on yeah. in that game. In your years of uh, doing knowledge management, working in this field, what have you seen change the most? And I don't care which bucket you pull it from, people, technology, processes, or, or yeah. governance, or, or whatever. What what really is a game changer? There's a couple elements here. The first is this. Um, I, I do think that the tie between KM and business value is closer than it's ever been. Um, the way that I talk about this is that for years, people have been talking about knowledge management in terms of knowledge management outcomes. So good KM leads to more content being used and reused, leads to uh, more people connecting, leads to innovation, leads to time saved, less time looking for information and more time doing cool stuff. And all of those things are wonderful, right? I mean, no CEO on the planet would say, no, I don't want those things to happen. But it is very difficult to make the leap from KM outcomes to hard ROI to dollars and cents saved. And so I think increasingly what's happening is that people are learning to talk about KM projects in terms of business outcomes. Employee satisfaction means employee retention. Customer satisfaction means customer retention. Faster upskilling of employees means people can be billable faster, means that they can work more consistently or more effectively less time looking for information and are waiting for answers isn't just higher productivity. It's potentially cost savings when you're considering staffing your next project. Uh, you can talk in terms of cost avoidance of heavily regulated organizations not getting that big fine for accidentally releasing that piece of information. As we've gotten more mature, I think we're able to tell those stories and actually have the data to back up those business outcomes. And that's where these projects get funded at the enterprise level. That's where people actually say, we need KM, not it's a nice to have on a year that we've got surplus budget. I think that the other big driver goes back to kind of how I, I let off the answer to your first question. Technology is catching up. And so we're at this point now where what used to be a multi-year project can actually be accomplished in a few months, which makes it much easier to get traction, much easier to get support, much easier to show that value and get the opportunity to do more. For both of those reasons, I mean, again, at the, at the end of the day, both of those are effectively budget or financial reasons, we're just seeing some some really great impacts to KM happen in these organizations. Well, I love that discussion because, and what raises to me is that, so uh, understanding what the impact is, is somewhat of a, a gray, slippery slope in the world of knowledge management is how do you affect, or how do you know what changes happen by what, yeah. what what interjection of knowledge or technology or however you do that. So I'm just curious, what is the best measurement of success? And it, you brought up the one, and I love the idea of the retention, right? Looking at how many people are leaving and the, the upskilling, how many folks out of our pool are actually engaged in learning. 
good indicator of an engaged economy of people. What is it for knowledge flow? Sure. You know, this has always been the classic challenge because an organization is never doing just one thing. I used to be a taxonomist. That was my real focus. And that's how I kind of grew up in the field. And EK still does a ton of taxonomy and ontology design. And that's always a great example of this challenge in that, okay, so we're building a new e-commerce site and we're going to put a new taxonomy into place. So great. Our lift and conversions increased by 40% three months later, but was it the taxonomy or was it the new user interface? Was it the new platform? Was it the new search? Was it the new marketing we put around the new website? Was it the fact that our SEO increased because we changed URLs? There are so many different dynamics to this. So of course it was the taxonomy, right? (laughs) It's tough to say that. We see the same thing in knowledge management. An organization goes through a transformation over the course of a couple of years. What else have they done? Of course, they've changed their onboarding strategy. They've hired a new COO. They've opened a new market. All of these different things are changing. Edwin, to answer your question, the way that I always look at this is to say, what's best is all of the above. You've got to look at a ton of different factors. And if you see an improvement in one, it's potentially anomalous. But if you see trends across all the things that you care about, we're recruiting better people, we're keeping them longer, they are saying that they're more satisfied at work, we are winning new customers, we are keeping them year over year, their satisfaction surveys, the scores are improving. On top of that, we have anecdotal evidence that says that this customer pointed specifically to their ability to self-serve or to get a more consistent answer. And they're happy with that. When we combine both the data with the stories and all of them are telling us broadly the same thing, we're moving in the right direction. And then of course you get to claim at least some of the good math that is a result of that. And I've always been upfront about caveating that saying, look, we can't claim the billion dollars in savings that you had, but we can probably take a good 5% of that. And that's enough to justify the program. So the image that came to me listening to you describe that was a cake. Mm -hmm. All I could think of is like the same concept is, Oh, the reason this cake is so good because the flour we got was organic or cocoa was from Brazil. You know what, what? It's like, no, it's like a whole bunch of different parts that you don't even, you're not even aware of how quality was the stove or the oven that was used. Right. What was, what pan did you use? So, um, you know, it's like you could go on and on and on about skinning this out, but it really is all about the whole. Mm-hmm. And how do we get people to lift their eyes from the little widgets that we're thinking KM is and look at the whole? Yeah. Wonderful question. I mean, and EK specifically takes a very broad definition of knowledge management. Uh, in fact, I think it's one of the broadest out there. We actually, instead of talking about KM, we, we really talk about knowledge, information, and data management. And I don't care where the lines are between those things, because the reality is a mature KM organization is going to be one that's connecting all of their knowledge and all of their information and all their data. We talk in terms of people, process, content, culture, and technology, fitting all of those pieces together. I am a big fan of getting people to look at KM like this. How do you do that? Two really 
sides of the same coin. The one is, again, to help them visualize all of that. And to me, the best way of helping them visualize it is by talking about actions, by talking about verbs. Uh, use these simple words like capturing information, sharing information, finding information, enhancing information. We've got this KM action wheel that people will be able to find if they they search on Google or I guess Bing, if it still exists. <laughs> Come on now. What are you talking about? <laughs> the, the, the basic idea of it is that if you put things in terms of just those basic verbs for an organization, then you can talk in terms of what does an organization wish that they could do easier or wish they could do at all. And it's not a little bit of tacit knowledge capture. It's a piece of tacit knowledge capture that then becomes a piece of digital information and then gets stored in a system and then ideally gets connected to other pieces of information and experts and gets enhanced with the taxonomy and then, and then, and then. And so I think by talking in terms of verbs, we help people visualize the fact that KM is effectively all your stuff. And I use that term of stuff very technically in this case. I think the other way that we do it is by telling stories. One of the great things about where we are is that we have been able to work with all these different organizations around the world and all these different industries. And so we have these wonderful stories of the problems that they've had and how they chose to address those problems and the outcomes that they got. And by putting KM in terms of those real world stories, it really paints the picture of how a single problem can have 10 different solutions. And sometimes an organization needs all of them. Sometimes it's one and sometimes it's something we haven't thought of yet. But it just it makes KM very real by helping folks visualize it like that. Well, based on your experience and seeing the different uh, business sectors and or work cultures and by work cultures, I mean, just culture, culture, just geographic, all those things that make up a region. Is there one yeah. that does it better? Is there a natural ability to some that is not to others? You know, interesting. Um, culturally or geographically, no, I, I think that there are differences. And when we facilitate a workshop and when we provide classes, when we teach, when we engage, there are certainly differences, right? There are things that we do in, in some regions and some countries and some languages that we don't do in others. But can I say that this place is better than another? No. And even if it were, I probably wouldn't say that uh, in a way that I was going to be recorded. Some yeah. cultural elements lend themselves to being good communicators, period. You know, yeah. and uh, I think in my own experience, sometimes a Western culture or I'll say U.S. culture is not so good at yeah. the sharing piece for what, you know, maybe it's that internalization mm -hmm. of what capitalism is. And it's all about me holding all the, the, the gold and I have my own bias, yeah. but I think there's probably some peoples that are just good at communicating. You know, Edwin, the, the way that we talk about this is there are three core reasons why people don't share their knowledge. Number one, and probably the one we see the most, the most pervasive, is that it's hard. If an organization has designed bad systems uh, or bad yeah, processes, yeah. they're just not going to do it. Uh, number two, because, and this is your example, I think, because knowledge is power. Knowledge is job security. As long as I know the thing and nobody else does, I'm not going to get fired. And then 
three, because uh, people are actually worried about getting in trouble if they say something that maybe isn't blessed by the organization or something that their boss doesn't agree with. Uh, so there's a sort of a fear-based impediment to sharing knowledge. Right? There's more to it than that, but those are the big three that we we tend to see a lot of within organizations. And what I will say is that there are definitely organizations and there's makeups of organizations where some of those are more prominent than others. Highly regulated organizations, organizations with a lot of firewalls are ones where that fear-based, I don't want to share my knowledge is, is, is really prominent. Uh, highly competitive organizations, sort of an us versus them sales culture, uh, you're going to see that knowledge is power being a piece. And then the, it's hard to share. Well, that's everywhere that hasn't hired EK. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yes. Got it. Uh, hey. I got you. I got you. And really, you boiled off the real sticky points to any work culture, any organization. The, the, the pain points of why things don't share well or, or, or why people don't collaborate well. It's almost like getting an arthritis in your organizational skeleton because it just makes everything restrictive. It makes everything less flexible. And that's a personality thing. And I, I totally see what you're saying with the culture being the influencer of what that ethic is like because bureaucracies are tremendously about punishing any innovative thought. You know, like, right. oh, no, don't say that. Oh, no. Yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh, come on. Any last words of wisdom you'd like to share? I, I think I would approach this actually from people who might be beginning their careers in KM. There's a lot of y'all out there because, again, here's your shameless plug. We're hiring. <laughs> I, I think I think this is a field where there's just a lot of folks that have approached it from a very academic standpoint. And though I think there's wonderful learning out there and great materials, the, the words of wisdom that I'd offer is this. If, if you're interested in the field, if you're looking to explore it, get in and do things and go back to what I said about business outcomes. Find projects, find opportunities where you can contribute to one of those business outcomes, where you can actually tell a story of how you did KM and what it did for your organization. And if you can do that, it's going to put you in a place to keep getting those opportunities. And I think that's what we need a lot more of in the field is just folks that are going to roll up their sleeves and get KM done. There's a KM gritness. There's a KM assertiveness in, in what you just talked about. But that is a skill set that's not necessarily yeah. uh, an academic trainable piece. And do you see most of these organizations or most of the knowledge management people that are passionate, are they more of a generalist in some degree versus as, mm -hmm. as a one slice kind of, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, rather than being an expert in a specific element of KM, I, I think what we do see is many, you know, not, not all, but many who are most effective are those that aren't just more KM generalists, but that they're more business generalists, that they can talk to IT and they can talk to business. They can put things in terms that a CEO will find compelling, terms that a, a developer will find uh, understandable and actionable, and terms that somebody on the business side will say, yeah, I want that. So there's a huge communication element to it. I think that, uh, and I love the word, Edwin, that you used, grittiness. 
Uh, I think there is like kind of that scrappy look, we're going to do this thing. And yeah, 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 yeah. we're going to talk to a lot of people and get your guidance. And, and if uh, you stand in our way, we're going to find a way to keep going because at the end of the day, (laughs) once you have it, you're going to be glad, but sometimes you just got to kick down a few doors to get going with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost the John Wayne kind of attitude about (laughs) the hell with what you're saying. This is more important. And I think that's true. I, in my own belief, I I really think there's, and it, it goes beyond the old cliche that KM used to propagate, which was the KM evangelist, Mm -hmm. right? Evangelism to me is just preaching. So I like to, you know, roll up your sleeves, you're going to get under the hood, you're going to get dirty and you're going to get involved because that's an engagement. You're engaged. This is, it's true servant leadership, right? Get down in the trenches, understand the business, ask lots of questions, uh, empathize with the folks that are there and work with them to figure out things that will actually help them do their job more effectively. That will make them happy in doing it. That's like the best t-shirt I've ever heard. Uh, Small print. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Zach, for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax-exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer-ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.